0: welcome to the silver screen guide podcast where we discuss films from every genre so sit back relax and enjoy the podcast
1: welcome back listeners to the eighth installment in our star trek movie review retrospective series today we are discussing star trek first contact this is your co-host corbin and i'm brad This film came out two years after Star Trek Generations. And if you haven't heard our review for Star Trek Generations, make sure to pause the podcast right now and go back and listen to that review. And also we have reviews for all of the other Star Trek films in the entire series. We're working our way through them. You can find those on our Podbean page or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to make sure to stay up to date with everything that we publish... Follow us on Facebook or Twitter or through email. You can find that on our official website. And if you're looking for some exclusive content that helps us out, helps us give you a better experience, helps us keep the lights on over here, keep hosting the podcast, you get exclusive bonus podcasts, movie reviews, our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, Q&As, movie commentaries. That is yours to keep, all for the price of a Starbucks cup of coffee. That's all in the links in the descriptions below. We've made it very easy for you to find and navigate for you to check out, so make sure to do that as well. As I said, this came out two years after the seventh film. This film came out November 22nd, 1996, listeners. I was nearing my second birthday. <laughs> yeah, you were just a little guy that I didn't want to take to the movie theater. Right, and I'm glad you didn't take me to this movie. I could see this movie is not for kids. Lots of loud explosions, yeah, even some sure. scary scenes in All it right. as well. I was surprised to see this film is directed by none other than Jonathan Frakes, who is lieutenant Riker, his number one in command the, the guy with the goatee yeah
0: yeah he's a good character yeah
1: he is i thought that was really cool he took over the directing job uh the film is of course written by ronald moore and brandon braga who wrote not only the tv series but the previous film and jerry goldsmith is back doing the score he did the score for star trek the motion picture the very first film mm. and star trek V: the final frontier and now he's back with this This film was actually nominated for one Academy Award. It was nominated for Best Makeup. Interesting. Hmm. And I can see it. I think for 96, they did a pretty good job with some of the makeup effects. They did a good job.
0: Yeah, they really did.
1: They did. And it brings it to its 10th Oscar nomination for the entire series. That's pretty good. I thought you were going to say score because I really liked the score. But I didn't know what competition it was up against. Yeah, just make up. The score is very well done as well. Jerry Goldsmith always seems to do a good job. And one of the positive things we did say about the first film was that we did enjoy the score. Yeah, it was one of the few things we liked about it. Currently, the film holds a 7.6 on IMDb. That's pretty solid. That's very respectable. That's high. And that is, it makes it the second highest rated Star Trek film so far anyways because the wrath of khan has a 7.7 7.
0: yeah that's just very, neck and neck very indistinguishable yeah they're just neck and neck
1: and listeners many of you may not know but the year the imdb top 250 best rated films came out this film was number 7 so according mm. to users of imdb back in 96 they considered they rated this the seventh greatest film of all time wow That just gives you a look at people's viewpoint of the film Mm. in 96. They absolutely loved it. And critically, critics loved it as well. A 93% approval rating just out of the park. That's amazing. It really is. And especially once you compare it to the past film, the past film had a 47% <laughs> approval rating. Maybe that was the, the – the, the, just in contrast, it was so
0: much better. You couldn't help but give it a high rating.
1: It absolutely was. And even the users of IMDb, the show thought so as well. The previous film had a 6.6. On Metascore, this film holds a 71. The previous film had a 55, and audiences gave this film an A-minus. Last time A B plus, which is still a significant difference. The budget for the film forty five million. The budget just keeps getting bigger. I believe this is about ten million more dollars. And it did pay off domestically, it grossed ninety two million, foreign fifty four million for a worldwide total of one hundred forty six million. So it grossed over one hundred million dollars its budget. That's incredible. It really yeah, it's is well done. And of course, opening weekend, no surprise. It was number one with $30 million. So the top five late November opening weekend was Star Trek, this film. Number two, Space Jam. (laughs) Number three, Ransom, a Mel Gibson film I've never seen, but I've heard it's pretty good. Also, opening that weekend was Jingle All the Way. Oh, uh, one of my favorites, one uh, of my favorite Christmas movies. A very fun Christmas film. It opened at number four. I think if they would have pushed it back to December, it would have done better. Seems Probably so. A little strange to open that in late November, considering that's more so around Thanksgiving. And this yeah, it is.
0: Yeah, they were a little early on the season there. Yeah, and and it, but what a, what a great cast in that show.
1: And another film called came in at number five. The Mirror Has Two Faces. Hmm. I've never heard of it. I've
0: not heard of that one.
1: Now, as far as its rank in the series, adjusting for inflation, this is the seventh highest grossing. When you don't adjust Hmm. for inflation, it's fifth highest grossing. Hmm. So nevertheless, it's done very well considering the last two films, I think, were like 10 and 11 at the very bottom of the box office gross. Originally, this film was going to be titled Star Trek Renaissance. And it was not going to take place in 2063, as this film does. It would have taken place in the 15th century. Wow. Where the Borg would have had a hive in a castle dungeon. There would have been sword fights alongside using their phasers. And Data became Leonardo da Vinci's apprentice. (laughs) That's unique. It does sound unique, but once again, I have to say that sounds like something best served on a TV show. Right, and that was harking My mind was harkening back to Star Trek. The original
0: series was always very well known for bringing out different time periods like that. But movie-wise, this in the, in the the genre that it is, you know, the the uh, science fiction, it really would not have been served as well that way. I don't think.
1: I don't think so either. And they did fear it would be too corny. Yeah also, Patrick Stewart refused to wear tights for a Star <laughs> Trek movie. Now, the next draft of the script was titled Star Trek Resurrection. But the writers wanted this to be a standalone film that would be an easily accessible adventure Star Trek movie for the average movie but still satisfying to Star Trek fans. So that was one of their first goals when creating this movie. I also did find some other working titles such as Star Trek Borg that just sounds weird it does yeah, Star Trek Destinies, mm. Star Trek Future Generations, mm. and Star Trek Generations Two well, you know
0: interestingly, uh considering how bad the previous movie was, Resurrection might have been very appropriately titled,
1: yeah, it might have been, they been a brought a dream to life. <laughs> That would have been a reasonable title. But the reason they did away with Resurrection is because Fox Pictures announced their fourth Alien film would be titled Alien, Alien Resurrection. Resurrection.
0: Yeah, good, good good, idea to get rid of it then.
1: So, they said, forget it. We can't have a science fiction movie of our own coming out at the same time with that title. Right. So, on May 3rd, 1996, they officially unveiled it would be called Star Trek First Contact. I got to say, I really like that title. I do too. It's intriguing. Uh, It was very intriguing
0: to me. Having not seen the film before, it was very intriguing to me what exactly. And I didn't read any spoilers. What is that First Contact about?
1: Yeah, so neither of us had seen this film and neither of us knew the plot of the film. I assumed First Contact meant they would travel back to like the beginning of man. And they would have Mm, first contact with man, which was a plot idea floated for the very first film. Mm -hmm, So, we discussed that in in our very first podcast. I thought they might be going back to that storyline, but they don't go there. And we'll talk about what first contact means for those of you who don't know. We're not going to talk about it just yet. That'll be after the spoilers. But I got to say, I like this idea better. And before Frakes was chosen to direct, the studio approached Ridley Scott – who direct the film, but he turned it down, and John McTiernan, who directed Predator,
0: mm. yeah, both good good directors.
1: Frakes, uh, once he kind of sat down and digested this movie, what he wanted it to be about, he believed the themes of this film are about loyalty, friendship, honesty, and mutual respect. Mm. So I like, I love that. I love yeah, all of I those liked themes. That a lot. Well, listeners, we are going to get into spoilers right now for the film. So if you haven't seen Star Trek First Contact and you don't want the film spoiled for you, go ahead and click pause right now. It is streaming on Amazon Prime Video with a subscription. That's how we watched it. But I'm sure your local library might have it or your local video store. And of course, there's all kinds of online rental options. So make sure to watch the film before listening to this review. And come back and click play after you've watched it, and we'll be ready to talk about it. Sometime after the events of Star Trek Generations, the newly built Enterprise E receives a distress call that the Borg are headed to Earth. Picard's, reprised by Patrick Stewart, because of his past with the Borg, they are commanded by Starfleet to stand down and simply hold back to prevent the Borg's escape. The reason for this is that years earlier, Picard was captured and assimilated into the hive mind of these inhuman cyborgs. Thankfully, he recovered, but his mind is still connected with theirs. Not able to take it any longer, Picard orders the crew to join the fight with the Borg. During the fight, they rescue Worf, reprised by Michael Dorn, from his ship, the USS Defiant. Having knowledge of the Borg's weak points, Picard orders all starships to shoot the Borg vessel. This causes the ship to explode but right before a spherical Borg ship launches to Earth. They create a quantum vortex that allows them to travel back in time. The Enterprise follows them into the time warp for they fear the Borg have already altered the past since they pick up on their scanners that Earth is now fully occupied by 9 million Borg. Journeying into the past, they arrive on April 4th, 2063, the day before first contact, when the first flight faster than the speed of light, a.k.a. warp speed, is made and a passing alien ship decides to land on Earth, which changes the future forever. Except the only problem is the Borg are doing all in their power to destroy the Phoenix, which is the warp ship, and the man who invented it, Zephram Cochrane, played by James Cromwell. Not wasting any time, the Enterprise destroys the Borg ship, but little did they realize the Borg secretly beamed aboard the Enterprise to take it over one crew member at a time. Picard orders Riker, reprised by Jonathan Frakes, Troy, reprised by Marina Sirtis, and Geordie reprised by LeVar Burton, to help Cochrane repair the ship on the planet's surface. The crew takes Lily, played by Alfre Woodard, on board the Enterprise to heal her since she was badly injured during the Borg attack. Picard, along with Data, reprised by Brent Spiner, and many crew members hunt their enemy. Their plans are dashed and Data is captured. During his capture, Data is seduced by the Borg Queen, played by Alice Krieg. After desperate attempts are made on the ship, they fear their only option is to blow up the Enterprise once again. Picard, due to his severe hatred of the Borg, refuses to destroy the ship. The rest of the crew take escape pods to the Earth where they plan to live discreet lives in the past. During this, Data is transforming into a human, which the Borg Queen wants for her king. Picard rescues Data, who was faking it all along. Through their wit, they destroy the Borg and rescue the Enterprise. Meanwhile, first contact day has arrived. Geordi and Riker join Cochrane aboard the Phoenix as they take the warp first warp speed flight ever. That night, a Vulcan ship lands on Earth where humans and aliens make contact for the first time ever. Picard and crew travel back to the future as credits roll. So I'll go ahead and admit it. I think this is the second best opening of any Trek film. I still love the opening of Generations with Captain Kirk saving the Enterprise. That one felt a little more special and I I just, it got me into it a bit more. Although I do love how we have a very exciting opening, kind of a flashback almost with Picard on this Borg ship and then a big space battle.
0: It was a great opening. Um, I have to agree. And how ironic is it though? that one of the worst movies has one of the best openings (laughs) that we go back to. Generations. Generations. You know, it still had a great opening as bad as the movie was. Yeah. And I I would have to agree with you, though.
1: This was a great opening. And I will say this, I say this with every movie, but this has the best visuals of them all. You can see there, there was a lot
0: happening in special effects and, you know, computer generated graphics, all of that. During those nine, the decade of the '90s, it's amazing the leaps they made in every each each film that comes out. Like you say, I can see it; it right. just gets better
1: and better. Three years later, we would get The Matrix, which has a right. great visual effects, right. and I was incredibly impressed with the way the new Enterprise looks. It actually has lots of detailing around the ship. Mm-hmm. The interior looks a lot better; it feels more spacious. And I love we get for the first time a space battle. With the Borg ship, and yes. you see all these different kinds of ships flying around. It truly, felt like
0: we were in a in a uh, you know a, a space battle of you know epic proportions. That you just you know you're used to that from Star Wars, mm-hmm. but you never get it in Star Trek, and finally we got it.
1: We did finally get it, and I'm really glad we have fresh villains in this movie. Right. I gotta say, the Klingons have been used enough. Yeah, it's time for somebody different, and I like how they teased out. The Borg in this. Now, I guess if you had seen season four of the TV series, they did have what many consider to be one of the greatest cliffhangers in television. Far better than "Who Shot J.R.?" Wow. Where Captain Picard has become a Borg. See, now had I known that this movie would have
0: had a totally different feel for me, and and sadly I didn't. I just so I was I was seeing it, you know, with fresh eyes. Uh, But that is fascinating to me.
1: It is to me as well. And apparently the Borg aren't used a lot. It's really only in that episode Mm -hmm. arc between seasons that they touch upon it. So in a way, they're kind of pulling a Wrath of Khan where they're bringing back a villain from the tv show and using it again Mm -hmm. and i will say i really do like these creatures they feel very different than anything we've Mm -hmm. dealt with in a star trek film before but i and i did think they did a well enough job probably as best they could of introducing picard was captured by the borg he hates the borg but nevertheless, something I think we both felt was we did still feel like we were missing something, a little bit of something, because we hadn't seen those TV episodes. Right,
0: right. That, that really would have filled in a lot of gaps for me.
1: And one of the reasons I do like this story a lot better than any of the other stories really is because we have legitimate stakes that feels overarching with the entire Star Trek universe. It's not just an isolated episode, mm-hmm. kind of like the film last time. This has to deal with their entire way of life and how the world has changed forever.
0: That's a great point.
1: And now, in some ways, it feels a little similar to Star Trek for The Voyage Home, where they have to travel into the past to save the mm-hmm. future. But that was strange. Stupid. It was about it was about saving whales. It had yeah, a, that was pretty stupid. It had a heavy handed eco environment message and a, a completely unknown villain about a cylinder. I mean, I it was so half hearted. I couldn't even believe right, it. Right. This has actual stakes because if they don't, this is like the the D Day. This is the point. Right. This is a major point in history where if Zephram Cochran doesn't make the first warp speed flight. They will never meet the Vulcans, and they will likely the future won't exist. They won't exist exactly. as as they yeah. know it. So, and I'm I'm glad actually that they chose this plot and this point because I was really intrigued to see where where are the Borg going into the past mm. um, to to take over. And I I noticed this as a major theme of the movie is human ingenuity versus human slavery almost communism i would say Mm -hmm. because they're talking about having hive mind and collectivism that's all aspects of socialism absolutely and i love how we kind of have zephyrm Cochrane, who is this flawed man but whose um, whose ambition allows for the achievement of great things whereas the borg has no achievement except Kind of slave domination. They're very Marx, Marxian. I, would I think say. that's
0: a great analogy because uh, with everything at stake for the future of the universe, if the Borg are successful in their attempt to go back and re- literally change time, I mean, it would be it would mean the enslavement of the universe uh, under them. And it, it, It's I can see that heavy stakes.
1: And I know in Star Trek Six they are trying to make it. The The wall, how the wall falls in space, how the end of mm. the Soviet Union. I would say this is even a better rendition mm-hmm. of that because the Borg clearly feel like a very Soviet style threat right. to them against right. the like modernity of human achievement through capitalism. And I really actually enjoyed they gave a lot of thought into making this a bit of a smarter plot mm-hmm. than most of the other. Trek films. And personally, I never found myself bored in this film. I don't think they suffered from the second act slump like the rest of the movies did. Could they have made it maybe a bit more intriguing on earth? Sure. But I mean, I I liked it well enough. Um, Could they have changed some things up a little bit in the second act? Sure. But I think it's a better second act than most films. True.
0: Yeah, that's definitely
1: true. Than most of the Star Trek films, for sure. And I think the reason is they usually maintain a good level of action with intrigue. So as far as I think of bad elements in this film, I didn't think I really had a lot of issues with this one, actually. And I know some other people's reviews get very nitpicky when it comes to time travel or what they're actually doing on there. You have to realize this is all fiction, this is a fictitious plot meant for Absolutely. meant for fun. It's really not meant to be literally scrutinized. And I know uh, one of their problems people have with time travel movies is why do you go back to like that event? Why don't you go back before then or something? And to me, I think that would ruin the whole plot of the movie. But you could always say that. You could always be saying, well, why then? And why then? Why not before then?
0: And before then? It just, it, 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 that's idiotic to – Pick something of interest, build a plot around it, and have fun with it. Which is what they did.
1: Exactly. So I think if you're going to nitpick a movie like that that much, then these kind of science fiction movies really aren't for you because right. Good you're not point. you're not going to allow yourself to have fun with it. And I mean, if it's if it's just I what we thought to be stupid as in Star Trek Four, then okay. I could understand that a bit more because right. I don't think they gave much care and thought to that right. at okay. all. But I really think they did feel that with this one. Now, one I guess the one element that I thought we were both incredibly confused upon and they probably should have done without was when Picard and Lily are on the Enterprise and all of a sudden they are wearing 1930s gangster's clothes and a speakeasy nightclub and Picard... Pulls out a Tommy gun. Yeah. It confused me.
0: It's cool. Uh, it's aesthetically pleasing, but it did confuse me. I, I didn't quite understand what, what that was about.
1: It, it was incredibly confusing because the transition was handled poorly. I mean, blink and you miss it. All of a sudden, yeah. they're transported to a 1930s world, and I get – they're probably using the deck like they did in the last movie. I had to make myself think that. though.
0: I mean, it just—I had to really. And then it was like you say—you blink and you miss it. It was just an abrupt change.
1: Yeah, they should have had a scene. I feel like they—they they accidentally edited the scene out where we see Picard and then run in there and turn on the holodeck that may have to hide. Been
0: true, you know we, do, we haven't seen the outtakes, but who knows?
1: And that was just incredibly odd. And I—I I know this is something other people have issue with—is. Everything in there is supposed to be holographic, yet he uses a machine gun to really kill these Borg members, which that seems a little far-fetched. It's a
0: little inconsistent,
1: yeah. The other thing that I felt was probably not earned as much as it should have been, where I really felt was just kind of coming out of nowhere, was Picard's hatred for the Borg. I just feel like it's not justified how he portrays it. I understand they're his enemy, but he kind of goes a little insane. And I understand they're trying to portray him as a Captain Ahab of sorts because they do mm-hmm. quote Moby, Moby Dick, Dick right? and which I'm fairly certain that there's a movie where Patrick Stewart portrays Captain Ahab. I think there is. Yeah.
0: But what is it? But is it, I'm, I'm wondering, is is it more, it's more justified to me in retrospect now that I know he was captured by them and assimilated by them. But I didn't know that as as intensely at the time. Makes it a little more acceptable his hatred for them.
1: But but the, most of the audience doesn't have that knowledge going in. Right. They just get flashbacks and that clearly they stressed him out. But to me, it just didn't seem like it made enough sense. To me, kind of that harkened back to Kirk's hatred for the Klingons. But that made total sense because they murdered his son right before he could get onto the planet and stop them.
0: Yeah, that's true. Not only had they murdered his son, but they had Kirk always hated Klingons. You know, you had a you had this lifelong hatred of Kirk and Klingons. But in this sense, you know, the, like you said, the Borg situation was just one, you know, episode in fourth season or something like that. So there wasn't this lifelong understanding in the viewer, the Star Trek Generations viewer of how much uh, Picard always hated the Borg.
1: Yeah. I think some of that emotion to me was coming across as a little too forced to maybe amp up the stakes for the audience. Mm -hmm. And then when they're thinking their only option left is to blow up the enterprise, which I wasn't going to be happy about if they blew it up No, I wasn't going to
0: be happy about that. For instance, a thought that came to my mind was, you know, when we do get glimpses, you know, in the the beginning, uh, we get glimpses of Picard's, you know, where they end up being flashbacks of when he was taken by the Borg and some of that. Um, It would have been fascinating to me had he had later on in the script shared some of the emotional anguish with someone about that. You know, here coming face to build the emotional anguish in him. He's coming face to face with people that had once, you know, all but assimilated his soul into oblivion, Mm -hmm. you know, and to come face to face with him again. Wow. You know this hatred would rise up, but it's just kind of presented as it's there.
1: You're right. They absolutely needed that moment for him to connect emotionally with another character. And that character would have taken the place of us as the audience. Exactly. So we could have, I was trying to say good point. Yeah. We could have emoted with him there as well. And maybe even added in another flashback of him being tortured. Yeah.
0: Something to build the stakes for us. Why is this so emotionally painful?
1: Just kind of like, What they did in First Blood where John Rambo is taken by the police officers. And when they're about to shave him, that flashes back to when the Viet Cong were cutting him with a knife. That's an incredible connection there. And I think they should have had something like that here. Mm -hmm. That really would Mm -hmm. have visually got us. And I thought Arnie uh, from the Now Playing podcast in his review, he brought up a good point. Is that the Borg, whenever they – uh, take somebody and assimilate them, they always replace their appendages. They make them into cyborgs. Mm. For some reason, Kirk did become – or I'm sorry, Picard did become a Borg, but he retained all of his appendages. Don't you think that would have made it even more impactful if afterwards Kirk would have had some kind of robotic arm? Or Picard, you mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't understand that either. I, I think – I didn't get how he could have been, quote, unquote, assimilated. But yet, fully be drawn out and be as human and perfect as he ever was. You know, that wasn't explained for me.
1: Right. That's that's kind of a major problem, I think, as well. Is it would have even made his hatred for them much right. more if they would have taken? I'd like to see what what it took. What drama did it take for him to really break free? You know. Right. And from what I heard from Arnie on the podcast, it was the greatest stakes. How are they going to get Picard back into it? And it sounds like they wrote themselves into a corner and they what they followed up with was a letdown. It was just right. all too easy to solve yeah. the problem. Yeah. So I am disappointed with that. They could have upped that a little bit as well. And like I said, the emotions I felt were running maybe too high there towards the end, especially when they're saying, Picard, you have to blow up the ship. And he says, no way am I going to do that. And Worf all of a sudden says, if you were any other man, I would kill you where you stand. That felt <laughs> that's, that's unbelievable. Little, that was a little harsh. Yeah, That really did feel unbelievable to me. Um, I did also see a lot of callbacks to the film Alien, especially with the Borg in the beginning.
0: Yes, I, I, I was thinking that during the movie. There was some flashbacks to me to the whole Alien plot being on. On board.
1: So I could see why they considered Ridley Scott to direct the film because I think exactly. he could have, I think it would have been a far different film. It would have been quite different. Because Alien is not an action film whatsoever. It's, it has more horror elements, if anything. Right. Whereas I really liked the action of this film and I liked some of the lightheartedness between like Geordie and Zephyr Cochran, how mm-hmm. Cochran's like, I don't want to be this great hero with the statue and it's just kind of funny. I thought I liked that, um, meeting of them in the past. So Brad, what is your rating and recommendation for Star Trek first contact? Well,
0: I definitely rate this one higher than the others that I've rated with perhaps the exception of, you know, my favorite is, is the wrath of Khan, and I'm such a Star Trek purist. I don't have the emotional connection with this TV series of, Generations, but it's building. After a movie like this, it's building. I want to know more. In fact, I'm intrigued, and you know, I might enjoy that series if I went back and watched it now. After didn't feel that after the first movie. Definitely after the second movie, did feel that. So, if I watch this again, and I know I will, I I would probably find myself giving this at that point an eight, but I think I'm going to go seven today.
1: Star Trek First Contact is the most action-packed Trek film that not only looks the best, but also has legitimate stakes that I care about. I'm entirely impressed how Moore and Braga redeemed themselves from writing the last movie, and Frakes has directed the best film so far. The villains are inventive, the Earth scenes are interesting thanks to Cromwell's performance, and I actually never found myself nodding off. I am so pleased with this 8th installment. I considered giving it an 8. I liked it so much. But for a fierce viewing, I am also going to give it 7 stars out of 10 with a solid recommend. So listeners, we also want to know what you think of Star Trek First Contact. Is this your favorite Star Trek film so far? Not including the ones pre- out coming after this movie. We're not onto those just yet. We want to know of the 8 films so far... Is this your favorite? And why is it your favorite? Make sure to comment that wherever you're listening to. Even if you're on Facebook or Twitter, you can tweet us or comment in the comment section below. And like I said, if you are interested in getting some great exclusive bonus content that is yours to keep... A price of a Starbucks cup of coffee is really great to drink, but once you drink it, it's gone. This content is yours to keep. We have our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, bonus movie review podcasts, Q&A, movie commentaries. It's all there. And we'll add more, even tears if you want us to, if you're looking for other content for us to do for you. That money does not go in our pockets. That money goes to improving the website, to hosting this for storage space, for bandwidth, for giving you a more aesthetically pleasing, better, just a better all-around presence for Silver Screen Guide for you to enjoy. Make sure to share this with your friends and family, and make sure to click subscribe if you haven't already. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. Brad, thanks for joining me. It's been great. Thanks for having me. We will see you next week with Star Trek Insurrection. Can't wait.